Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. And this is episode 188. So the design contest for this year is done. Woo-hoo! Huzzah! We had 28 entries. Thank you very much, everyone. And this was this one was a little bit different because the entries we did ask that people build them. So last time around we did, we asked for design stuff and documentation, but this time around we had twenty eight people build twenty eight projects. Yes, and so I would like to take this moment and thank Mauser Electronics for sponsoring our contest. Uh, they provided all the funds for the prizes and uh, lent a hand with the marketing of the contest and other things like that. So thank and you so much. And just enabled Mauser. this all to happen. Yes. So thank you very much, Mauser. So, we're going to go over, I guess, our favorite projects, and um, we'll announce the MacFab Engineering Podcast winner after we, you know, debate and argue over which project is the best one. Um, so, I guess I'll, I'll pick my first, my favorite, or one of my favorite projects. Yeah, so actually, we, we're, we're doing this somewhat like the last contest, the uh, Blink and LED contest, where Parker chose three projects that he liked. I chose three. We didn't talk about it, and we're bringing them together now to see if any of those line up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we'll have some honorable mentions, too, as well. Uh, oh, there for sure. a lot of great projects. Yeah. It's you just- know, actually, before we go, uh, l- let me just mention that... Uh, uh, you know, really fantastic job to everyone who participated. And, um, you know, this might get a little bit cheesy here, but I, I freaking love our listeners uh, because I feel like this is one of the few places where engineers can do this kind of thing to get really goofy and make just a fun project and get creative with it. And yeah, sure, like, I'm, you know, there's a prize involved, but at the same time, like, it's fun for everyone. And I love seeing our community, like, come together and just make some really great stuff like this. And Park and I were looking at projects beforehand, and we're just laughing the entire time. Because they're all just super great. So thanks to everyone who did this. So actually, I'll, I'll start with, like, an honorable mention. <laughs> okay. Is the useless joke bot. <laughs> right, which is amazing. So explain what the useless joke but Actually, you know what? Real quick, before we do this, if you guys want to check out these projects, they're up on hackaday.io. Uh, yeah, there'll so be you a link go... in the podcast description so you can see all these projects. Yeah. Um, so the useless joke bot's by Jenny, and it is a Arduino in a box with a screen, and you press the button, and it tells you a joke with the wrong punchline. <laughs> It just kind of like combines jokes together and they're terrible because they're like bad dad jokes and then they get worse because the punchline is wrong. Correct. (laughs) And it's it's well made too. It looks nice. Yes. Which that's honestly uh, for a lot of these, there's a theme of that going around where like people put some real effort into making these look great. Okay. So I, I guess if you did an honorable mention... I'll do an honorable mention first. I, we're, we're sort of going backwards on this. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I'll do an, uh, an honorable mention. For me, the daily calendar printer was an honorable mention. It's a fantastic project that basically goes and it, it aggregates like calendar data from online and it prints you out a calendar that has like garbled 
information or garbled um, activities yeah, it, it, on it the dates. It takes your today's schedule and then prints them out of order. Yeah, prints them out of order. <laughs> and if 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 you're uh, if it doesn't have something for you to do today, <laughs> it'll give you something to do by printing the entire reel of paper. <laughs> so you have to reload it. <laughs> That's so great. I think one thing it could be to improve it is it would first print out reload the printer and then you would tear it off and then it would just barf all of its paper <laughs> or if it said pc load letter if that's all it said on the on the whole oh, just printed that the entire time yeah, just PC load letter. <laughs> what does that mean um we we had like quite a bit of uh projects that were like lights that only worked in the daylight yeah uh, my favorite one of those was the it was the solar powered torch by let me go look at it uh, Sir, Sir Dan. Dan yeah and it wasn't just because it's an LED on top of a solar panel pretty uh, simple project but what got me was like when he built it he needed to test it and it wasn't sunny <laughs> <laughs> so his testing is useless <laughs> yeah his testing was useless. I, yeah, I there's like that. layers of uselessness on that one. Yeah, it was that was great. <laughs> so good. Okay, Parker, hit me with with one of your one of your three. Okay, one of my three is what does the fox say? See and say. <laughs> and this is kind of based off the idea that we had was like one of those things. It was one of those uh, toys that kids have that has an arrow that spins when you pull the lever, and it spins goes. And the cow says moo. Well, we had the idea that the cow would say like quack. Because it would be not incorrect. Yeah. Well, this is a, uh, a C and say. It's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Um, that when you spin it, it does lines from that hit uh, viral video from a couple years ago. What does the fox say? Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, another thing that a lot of uh, a lot of folks did was um, produce videos for their projects to demonstrate it being useless. And there's um, some of them are are you know uh, there's a lot of videos that are just like, hey, here's here's my device. But some people went like way above and beyond and had like plots to value. their videos <laughs> like yeah. of how it's useless, which is so great. Okay, um, I'm gonna give you one of mine real quick. Uh, and this one probably doesn't come as a surprise to you, Parker, because I love this kind of crap. But the, the mouse-controlled mouse controller is yeah, just, that was great. just phenomenal. So this is a device where um, a guy controls a CNC bed, basically a XY gantry, that is connected to a mouse, and he controls that with a mouse. Uh, so it's it, it's basically just reading in the the information from a mouse and controlling the XY gantry, which is so useless and so like unbelievably complex for nothing. It's yeah. amazing. I absolutely love it. Also, I have to admit that um, in the write up for this, he mentioned that he wanted to learn things and uh, just decided to go with that. You know, like because it's like, hey, I can put these two things together. So I love the idea that it was like educational for him to become useless. Like mm-hmm. that's so great. <laughs> and we did have a couple uh, devices that were like they're designed to turn themselves off, which is <laughs> yeah. very in the spirit of useless machines. Oh yeah. Um, one of those was the uh, battery dumper, 
by oh, who was that? Let me go. Uh, Sir Dan again. Sir Dan again, where you turn it on and it opens up its battery compartment and then spills all the batteries on the floor. It just pukes it out. Yeah, I, I love that. And there was another one that was um, the Unpluginator, which has an amazing name. Yeah. And you turn it on and it just like unplugs its cord from, from itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. Uh, so that, it, That's also Sir Dan as well. <laughs> so. Sir Dan's got a theme going on here. He's got a theme. Yeah. So wait, was that in one of your top three? No, that's just a... Uh, uh, that was an honorable mention. Oh, or a category mention. Category mention Unpluggers. Unpluggers. Turn-offers. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> um, what's what's one in your top three? Okay, the cat detector. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so a lot of people will build a cat detector to, like, auto-feed or auto-water their cats. This one, though, meows at cats. So when it detects a cat near it, it just meows at it. Well, and 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 um, this was done by a gentleman named Mason, and uh, the he mentioned in his write up that he's he he gets annoyed by his cats meowing at him all the time. So he made a device to be kind of a dick to his cats. Which yeah, it I just really meows love. back at his cats. Ah, <laughs> oh, great. Also, doc, uh, documentation is really great on these. Yes. Like, the write-ups are fantastic, and the document... I mean, everyone did a great job. Uh, okay, cool. Um, I'm going to uh, give another one of my top three. Um, that's the room temperature cup holder, which I think is absolutely <laughs> yeah. amazing. So it's... Okay, so this is a device that has basically a little... Uh, it looks like a metal cup holder that you can put uh, a beverage in. And underneath, attached to it, is a uh, Peltier heater cooler, basically. And uh, they, uh, this was done by Parker Newman. Basically, an IR LED detects the temperature of whatever beverage you put in there. And if it's cold, it brings it up to room temperature. And if it's hot, it cools it down to room temperature. So whatever whatever drink you have is at the like worst possible temperature to drink it. Yes, room temperature. <laughs> oh, so great. Yeah, that was a good one. The uh, I have another honorable mention before okay. I give out my last uh, favorite. Okay. The Arduino door catcher because it was actually a useful project for like people that have like arthritis, and so they can open up the door by just clicking a button. Um, so they can, you know, it's really hard for some people that use doorknobs and with the dexterity involved. Mm. But he took that device and made it useless by basically it will always try to keep the door open. So you shut the door and it'll open it back up. <laughs> it also has a um, it also has a deadbolt that extends and allow you to not close the door. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I thought that was a pretty funny uh, twist on a useful project that made it useless. Yeah. So, so I'll admit that was actually in one of my top three, just because of how impressive it is and how much effort went into it. Now, sure, like probably a lot less effort went into converting it to be useless, but it's just it's. I, I guess I really am into the level of complexity that goes into something that becomes useless. And that, I, mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm really tied into that. And um, this one is like a full-on robotic arm that's programmed to grab a doorknob, which is yeah. freaking awesome. So I put that in one of my top three. And it's also, 
it's a robotic door on which you would think basically like just an electronic latch that you would just install in the door might be easier than this ginormous robotic arm that has to twist a doorknob and yeah. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, my last favorite uh, project was the clap activated applause machine. <laughs> this is great. Um, this was made by Dylan. And so it's a you clap and the machine activates and starts clapping. And it's just it's it's useless because when you you already clapped, why do you need to clap more? Yeah, it's like continuous applause. Yeah. You know, uh, this is a really, really strange um, side note, but this came to my head. Um, and um, so apparently at one point in time, Joseph Stalin, I know this is really strange, but Joseph Stalin came out on stage once and everyone was so afraid to not or stop clapping that they that there was a standing ovation for like 15 solid minutes because nobody was willing to stop clapping because if you were the guy who stopped clapping, then he might kill you. Uh, you know, and so like this machine is kind of like if that would save if your the, life. If that would save your life in this situation if you live in a communist. I wonder Russia. if that's an urban <laughs> legend. I don't know. Like I, I, I can't remember. I was, might have been a documentary, but like that totally came to mind when I saw this. I wonder if you can use this to turn on other things that are clap activated. <laughs> I just like, the, the clapper going on and off. Yeah, <laughs> you know uh, what? I one thing I really love about that project is that the um, it, it has two like rubber hands that do clapping, but they don't actually make any real appreciable noise. It's the mechanism that is so damn noisy. Yeah, the, the you hear just see the gears and and pulleys making yeah. tons of noise. The, and and I gotta admit, uh, Dylan, the the gut shot that you have of it, it's it's absolutely gorgeous because it's clear that it was just like wood chopped together with like rubber pulleys and like just screws into plywood. And I absolutely love that. Old school animatronics. So wait, have we run into an impasse here? Because uh, in in the first in the first project or contest we had, um, you and I had a consensus on one project, uh, but I think this time we didn't uh, agree on one here. Correct. Okay, so is this does this come down to like we have to defend our projects? Sure, I guess we can say that. Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, let's 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 do this. Um, let's narrow each one of ours down to one and then we have to argue for our our one okay yeah sound good sure <laughs> so so yeah uh go ahead and pick one project um and i'll do the same and then we can give our like remarks on them and then uh then i don't know we'll either flip a coin or one of us will concede okay so i i'm gonna vote for the cat detector useless mm. machine okay by mason mainly because my cat does the same thing oh so he hit home. on the counter and just meow and i actually meow back at the cat <laughs> and something that that would i guess at that point it's not even that useless then yeah Be oh uh, are you shooting yourself in the foot here yeah i did a little bit didn't i <laughs> if anything though it would probably drive me insane so its goal is to drive the cats insane, but I don't think the cats are going to care. No, probably not. And if you're already annoyed with the meowing, this thing just keeps meowing. 
Wait, so uh, is the um, – let me look up the project real quick. Is there a video of it? Yeah, there's a video of it. Oh, okay, cool. I want to hear what the me- I want to hear what the meow is. Sounds like a cat. Okay, I, d- I wasn't sure if it was like an audio clip or or whatnot. But yeah, no, you're right. Sounds like a cat. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an audio clip. He's playing off uh, Arduino. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Okay, okay. So you're picking the cat detector, and yeah. uh, from mine, I think I I have to go with the mouse controlled mouse controller because it because not only is it useless, it's ridiculous. Uh, and and uh, I, I it really strikes home with the whole like wanted to learn something and like put it to use for something that is useless. <laughs> like that's that's really great. And you know what? I'm actually going to agree with you on that. All right. Is I really like this project a lot from the fact that the person learned a lot doing it, mm-hmm. and it is completely utterly useless. There's no reason for this thing to exist it is reading in a mouse input to move a mouse for its input to go into something else it it is absolute useless middleman electronics and mechatronics for no purpose whatsoever like i think it fits the spirit of the entire contest uh in 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 that but it's also like um i mean it, it just really nails it in my opinion um, so yeah, I think we, we will go with that one. All right. Excellent. So, uh, that looks like it was designed by Jeffrey Bernath. So congratulations, Jeffrey, for winning the useless contest with your mouse controlled mouse controller. So they won the MacFab engineering podcast one. Well, so I, yeah, still, you're right. There, there is still, still three other prizes. Yes. There are still three other prizes that our wonderful judges will be picking over this next week. Right. Our judges are Joe Grand, Whitney Merrill, Charlene Gonda, and Sophie Kravitz. I think yes, yes. <laughs> I actually nailed all those all those names. I think. Well done. Um, they'll be judging them over this next week, and we'll be announcing the winners of those on the blog and normal social media places like Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. Um, but the uh, MacFed Engineering Podcast one gets you know. A thousand bucks and the trophy. Woo! And, uh, ooh, you know what? Actually, so Parker sent me a picture of the trophy, but you mind holding it up real quick? Because I have actually not seen the final, final product. Uh, So, yeah, he did. uh, So, I, I, at DEF CON, I gave Parker the enclosure, and uh, oh my gosh. It's It's so shiny. No, it's so shiny. It's great. It came it out, out okay. Game came out fantastic. Look at that. That is gorgeous. Uh, so, um, what, so what does it do again, pictures. Parker? What was that? What does it do again? So, when you apply power to it, the screen turns on, and it displays Mars weather from the uh, NASA API. So this is what I spent the last couple days working on, was uh, finishing up the code, you know, being super procrastination on finishing my project for the useless machine project <laughs> <laughs> a contest. Um, so yeah, it runs a Raspberry Pi inside with the uh, Raspberry Pi seven inch touchscreen, and then to run the application, I decided to use uh, GUI or GUI zero, 
which was a really easy to use framework that's in Python. It's really interesting. It runs, um, it's like an event-based uh, platform. So it's kind of like an interrupt-driven um, microcontroller system. So it basically, once you set everything up, it just goes into a while loop forever. Mm-hmm. And then events happen and make things like, and then run functions. It's just so like sniffing have, the events and throwing them up on the screen, right? Yeah. So you can have like a button and so it goes, oh, that could be like an edge trigger, basically, in a microcontroller when a button gets pressed, it wakes up and then it does something based off that button. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what that does. Um, it's the only problem I had with it is I got really far down the road and then realized you can't put a background image in the application. Because I wanted to have like a Marscape, like oh, in the background cool. and stuff, and um, can't do that. So I was like, "Well, I'm not throwing away all the code I just wrote, so <laughs> we won't have that feature." <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, and then the Wi-Fi connectivity, um, because since it's in like an aluminum box, it's really hard to like access the other USB ports. <laughs> so you can't plug a keyboard into it without opening it up. Mm. Um, so to make it easier to connect it to your Wi-Fi, it uses Raspy Wi-Fi, okay. uh, which is like if it doesn't detect that it's connected to a Wi-Fi uh, hotspot, it broadcasts its own Wi-Fi and then you connect to it uh, with your cell phone and then you plug in the Wi-Fi credentials and then it reboots and connects to your Wi-Fi. Oh, that's nice. That's that's convenient. That means uh, that means. Um that uh, when Jeffrey gets it, he can uh, just connect over his phone and uh, and not have to do a lot of configuration. I hope so. I haven't tested that. I, I tested it once and it worked. And I'm like, okay, done. Ship it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then to hide the cursor, because the mouse cursor is just there all the time, there's a uh, program called Unclutter. Basically, it detects that the mouse hasn't moved in a long time and then just makes it go away. Hmm. Um, and then to get Mars data. So I thought I was screwed about two days ago. Okay. Is we were use, going to use the mass M-A-A-S, yeah, M-A-A-S, uh, API that NASA had for Mars weather data. That doesn't exist oh. anymore. Oh. It's, I was like, oh, no. How do I get Mars data without this API anymore? Well, apparently they made a new one. Okay. And uh, it's called the... Actually, I think it's just on the... If you go to api.nasa.gov slash API, conveniently enough, hmm. uh, it has all NASA's like API documentation. And uh, yeah, so I was able to pull uh, weather from the Elysium plant, Planeta? Planetia? Something like that. Um, which is a location on Mars. Okay. Well, um, now insight. Now you'll know how to uh, appropriately dress if you are uh, visiting Mars. Visiting Mars. It's like negative 147 degrees Fahrenheit. Right now? You know what's interesting is the API returns temperature in Fahrenheit. Oh. Which I thought was interesting because everything else is in SI units. Um, Do they measure uh, things in inches on Mars? No, it's meters per second. Because I have wind speed in there. There's three places in the universe. America, Burma, and Mars that Mars. use imperial units. <laughs> only for temperature, though. Right, right only for temperature. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and then what I noticed is after I finished all this, right, 
the pie would turn itself off or go into sleep mode after 15 minutes. Mm. I'm like, I guess that is useless because then after 15 minutes, you have to kind of like touch it to make it like come back to life. But I, I enabled uh, turning off the display and removing the sleep function from the Raspberry Pi. Now I'll, I'll put a link on how I figured out how to do that. I didn't figure it out. Someone on S Stack Exchange did. And I just copied their code. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, um, so it's done. And then I, I took this the uh, enclosure from Steven, and this morning I ran it through the the buffer buffing wheel, and was able to get a pretty decent sheen on it. It's yeah, not, you, you got rid of a you got rid of the tiger stripe scallops. Yeah, um, I mean some of the surface scratches are still in there. Yeah, like you can see the swirl marks, but um, I'm gonna call that good. I th it's, I think it looks great. Yeah, so. it's all pretty nice. It's it's got a little bit of heft to it too. It is heavy. Yeah, it's and uselessly heavy. Yes, uselessly heavy. I think because it doesn't have like batteries in it that would make it normally heavy. No, it um, just it literally has a USB port on the back that you just plug in, and that supplies yes. power to the Pi, and that's it. Yes, and I I'm, I think I'm going to put some rubber feet on the bottom just so wherever. Um, it doesn't scratch crap up. Jeffrey puts it; it doesn't scratch up his surface. You know, we should we should uh, reach out to Jeffrey and see if he useful. wants to be a uh, uh, a guest. That would I think that'd be fun to talk to him about the design of it, of his cool. project. That would be fun. You know, um, I think I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I I helped a buddy design a useless project before once that actually went up in an art gallery. And uh, talking about all these projects now reminds me of it. We made a box once that uh, it was oh, maybe a foot and a half by six inches tall by maybe six inches deep. And inside this box was a little piece of paper that was basically the size of a – it was like a fortune cookie piece of paper that had text on it. And the whole front of the box was um, one-way glass. So you could see – into the into the box if the if there were lights inside the box were illuminated which i we had led lights so it would soft glow inside the box so uh you could read this piece of paper if those lights were on now i put an ultrasonic sensor underneath it that would detect if anything came in front of the box and it and like as you approach the box it would dim the lights so there was something you could read in there but as you approached it it would dim the lights and you would just get a reflection of yourself. And so it was based virtually impossible to read that thing. And we, we hung that up in an art gallery somewhere and it was great watching people go up to it and just be like, try to read what? it. <laughs> it was so awesome. <laughs> 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 oh, those are fun. I'm going to grab a beer real quick. Okay. Well, while we are waiting for Steven to come back, how y'all been listeners? Have you recently reviewed us on iTunes, left us a Google review, or told your friends about how awesome the podcast is? I would have more, but I don't. <laughs> All right. So, Stephen, what have you been up to? So, I've been working on the fermentation controller. I'm actually uh, been putting a bunch of time into it because I want to make sure that this project moves forward. And... Uh, it's also been a lot of fun. You know, uh, that's another uh, another thing that's a uh, big thank you to Mauser for sponsoring these projects that we do. Um, 
having having Mauser help us out with these projects allows us to kind of move things along a little bit quicker. And uh, also, uh, you don't have to consider cutting corners all the time, uh, which is really, really helpful. And uh, things like buying dev boards for developing uh, aspects of projects is now a little bit more in our wheelhouse. So um, let me see here. So I ended up picking a processor for the uh, project. So I ended up going with an STM32F091RCT which that is a 64-pin uh, little processor guy that comes on one of the uh, standard um, Nucleo boards, which okay. the Nucleo boards are the dev boards for the STM stuff. So for like 10 11 bucks, you can get a really capable dev board. And I went with this processor because it has eight UART available on it. Um, so one UART for USB serial connection, one uh, UART for the Wi-Fi connection, and then six UARTs for the temperature probes that are all one-wire probes. So just basically with the processor alone, I can handle all of that communication, and I don't have to do any other peripheral stuff. And that really worked out well, especially because it has plenty of GPIO available beyond that. So I can control all the relays, which I'm going to go with solid state relays on this, but I can also handle button presses and things. So it all just works out well. The processor is not like super cheap. I think in, in singles, it was like $4, $5, somewhere like that. So it's not like a, a bottom it's of the barrel sense one. Of you art. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, but, but, uh, you know, for, for the fact that I'm building two of these, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's, so uh, I think that processor is going to work out well. So I snagged one of the Nucleo boards and I've been programming that. Um, and that's actually been going fairly well. I was surprised because normally like my programming stories are a lot more hairy and disgusting, but, uh, this one has been pretty decent other than like the age old, like argument of, you know, what are, what IDE do you use? And, um, how, setting it up. Like, I feel like freaking 90% of the problems you have with these kinds of projects is like, oh, I'm picking a new IDE and I'm going to spend 16 hours just configuring it and, and like pressing buttons and being like, why the hell did it do, do that? You know, like, I, I, my biggest, it, it's along those lines. It's like, I get the dev board, plug it in, get the IDE all loaded up. And then spend the next like four hours just getting a demo program to compile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's awful. I'm looking at you, Silicon Labs. <laughs> <laughs> like, and the, the, I I hate it because like I'll get down a rabbit hole and like ju of just like pressing buttons and learning what things do, and then I'll get myself like so screwed that like nothing works. Where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna uninstall the IDE and just reinstall, <laughs> and then I do, and it doesn't do things the same on a no on a new fresh install. I'm like, how the hell did I screw that? Like it's a reinstall. Like, but whatever, it happens. Um, so my IDE is right now it's doing things that like it wasn't doing the first time I installed it, but whatever, I've got it working, and and. Frankly, this isn't the first time I've used this IDE. I, for the uh, U-Tracer project, I used this IDE, but um, I didn't need it at, uh, for a while, so I actually uninstalled it for a handful of reasons and brought it back now. Um, so I've used this IDE before, but I'm doing it. I'm doing things a little bit different, and I felt like I did the U-Tracer project kind of by the seat of my pants because I hadn't touched an STM before, so everything was like, okay, well, let's just figure this out. But now instead of like – with the U-Tracer project, I didn't 
do a dev board. I went straight to my PCB and started programming there. Now I'm doing the dev board and swinging over, which in a lot of ways you would expect that would be the first thing you do. Um, but like getting the dev board to work is, it, it's easy, but it's also a thing you have to do. Uh, like Parker was, was saying, like you have to learn how like all that goes together and then linking together all the support software that comes with it, like CubeMX and stuff, which is where you define all your pins and all the other stuff. It's great and all, but there's like headaches that are involved with that. Um, and mm -hmm. on top of that, I, I found out that UART 8 on CubeMX uh, spits out an error in the code, like just straight up like the code is faulty and it will not compile. And for like hours I was like, what the hell is going on here? And so like I rewrote their code to just work. And then I, I put that like, I put that in a commented section <laughs> such that if I ever import their code again, the very first thing I do is I just rewrite their code with something that works. But like, those are the things you always have to deal with, with like switching either back to an old IDE you've used or a new one, you know? Um, so regardless, I got it functioning now and, and I'm actually writing code which is and software awesome. developers wonder why we design our old footprints all over again hey cheers to that this is these <laughs> are the exact reasons like yes I'm gonna spend 30 hours uh, programming this thing and the first 15 are getting the IDE to work uh, that's why that's why I tweeted out a, a picture on uh, on Twitter that just like had the dev board blinking and I was like projects nearly done you know because like as if you got that you're you're almost there yeah um, so I picked up a, uh, a 320 by 240 dot graphics display from buydisplay.com. Uh, it's the ERM320240 SBS-2, which is basically their biggest graphics display. And, um, you know, they have, like, example code that's for their... 8051 processor or an 8051 processor so it uses 8-bit parallel to um talk to the micro so i ported uh all of their code over and actually ended up getting it working this weekend um so and i say working with a little bit of asterisks it needs some love but um when i tell the screen to display like a sine wave or to display a circle it displays a circle and a sine wave it's messed up but it's it's there so like i need uh, some somewhere in my code either in my code or in my like jumpering pins to the processor i may have flipped a bit somewhere so it's doing sort of what it needs to do but there's also extra crap that's going on uh but it, you know that's a big battle to win like just getting the screen to display anything at all uh like getting it to display the right thing is is the easier battle just anything at all mm -hmm. is difficult so i'm excited because that's actually gone pretty well um, so I picked up also an AMW007 development board, and that's the Wi-Fi enabled, well, the Wi-Fi stack enabled uh, controller. Um, so I've got that sitting here. I'm going to hold that off on that for a while because I want to get the actual like reading of temperature data in and displaying it on the screen first, which honestly, I can develop the entire thing on this little Nucleo board here and then eventually go to the PCB layout because normally I'd be doing like the schematic in the PCB layout right now. But I figured this time around, I'm going to have the dev board like fully function 
uh, or at least like be able to display the temperature data. And then I can yeah. do the like clean up in the user interface when I have my actual PCB in place. Um, but I've been making good progress on that because like I actually have it doing what I want it to do right now. Um, so there, there is one other thing real quick I want to mention about that display. And um, I'm having a little bit of problem with this. So maybe you, Parker, or maybe someone else who's uh, listening can speak to this and had this issue before. So the very first time I turned this display on, I used um, my Keithley uh, power supply. And um, according to the data sheet, the maximum current that the like data input or the data power can accept is 80 milliamps. So I put an 80 milliamp current limit on it and you give it five volts. You know, nothing special there. As soon as I turn it on, it goes into current limiting and it's like one point whatever uh, volts. So I'm like, okay, great. You know, so I, I play around with it. I look around things. Do I have things in, incorrectly connected? Blah, blah, blah. I go through this for a while and it's just always current limiting no matter what I do. Even if I like unplug everything and just apply power, it's current limiting. So I just tried un, uh, you know, unplugging from the power supply, leaving the power supply on and then hot uh, jumping it on and it fires up no problems whatsoever. So if hmm. I try to just turn my power supply on, uh, with everything connected or even just the data power supply, it goes into current limiting. And I did push up the current, you know, limiting level and it'll pull as much as I give it. Uh, so, so something with the ramp in something with, yeah, something with the ramp in causes issues. Now I've occasionally had it work fine. If I have the micro connected to it and the micros sending data already before I turn the screen on, then it seems to work fine on occasion. It doesn't always work fine. But the problem is, like, I don't know what's happening there. I, I mean, there is a switch mode power supply on the back of this screen that provides the negative 24 volts for the, for the actual LCD. So my guess is something about that switch mode isn't liking the turn on of the power supply. I would put a 100 microfarad capacitor right on the as close as you can to the screen and see yeah. what happens you know okay so good guess already did that in fact i already did that exact value and i tried a 4700 microfarad after that to just see if i could like slow it down or something you know and um that didn't neither one of those seemed to work so works great if i hot swap it or just basically like my power supply is already turned on and I plug my, mm -hmm. my banana jacks in does not work well if I turn the outputs on my power supply. That doesn't make any sense to me, but I guess it just has to do with whatever startup sequence or startup ramp the power supply has, right? So the question is, how do I avoid that when I actually go to make this into a PCB? Uh, like, wh what would I need to do in, in that case? So if anyone has any cute ideas with that let me know i you could just put a mosfet that just waits to the wait till power good and then turn it on yeah and i might i might end up doing that i had actually had that thought also so i have a power supervisory circuit on my processor that makes sure to hold the uh processor in reset until the 3.3 volt reaches I don't know, it's like 3.1 or 3.2 volts. I could probably also have that hold the LCD screen off uh, until the processor turns on, and maybe that's enough time. But the problem is, like, 
I don't know. Like that doesn't, I'd have to test it. Right. So I, this is the first time I've run into this error before. Uh, and it seems strange. Like what could, what could cause a board like that to just pull as much juice as I can give it? The first thing that comes to mind is it's gotta be that switch mode power supply, right? That switch mm -hmm. mode is just like asking for a bunch of crap. Maybe it's just like shunting something to ground for some reason. I don't know. Interesting. It's probably is shunting. Well, that's, I mean, kind of how switch modes work with that inductor. Right. Um, so maybe it's just staying shorted. Uh, yeah. And something about, like, it's like, you know, a lot of times they have those, like, bootstrap, the resistor cap bootstraps that help them yank it, uh, help them dump a lot of energy into the inductor upon startup. Maybe that, that bootstrap isn't detecting and turning off the switch mode supply. I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of like could be's in this situation. So maybe a listener will know. Yeah. Cool. Let me know. So, or you can email by display. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I could. They'll probably be like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't turn the screen on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, cool. yeah, uh, that's that's come along well. One other thing is I have um, ordered an enclosure for everything, and the enclosure is um, sort of unfortunately large, but that's only because I wanted to put oh, all... Jeez. Yeah, it's it's 20 inches. 20 inches wide. It's 20 inches wide, but that's that. the reason why is because I wanted to put all of the input, outputs, and everything on one side, and I, I drew them all out in CAD, and, like, if you put six XLRs, a USB, a DC jack, four mains jacks, plus a mains input cable, like, it consumes a lot of space, you know, so... It's big, but the screen's big too. So the whole thing is kind of big. It'll look cool hanging on the wall. That's what I want. Like it'll just be like screwed into the wall behind my my fermentation fridge, such that when people walk by, they'll be like, "Ooh, it's what's a, that?" Let me. It's, tell it's you. like it's like a coffee book, uh, coffee table book. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be big. <laughs> I, my original thought was it would be more like uh, a tablet size, but this is more like two tablet size. Yeah. Five hundred millimeters by two hundred fifty millimeters by. 75.4 which is basically 20 inches by 10 inches by three inches so it's yeah, big ridiculous yeah. <laughs> no it's not ridiculous are you kidding me it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> okay on to the rfo so keep these a little short this week since we're we had the uh contest to go through yep so we have another terror fight coming up Woohoo! just what everyone wants because all the uh, other ones were working so well Yep, so October 1st, tariffs will go from 25 to 30%. Yay. So that's going to be fun. <laughs> we have the best <sighs> tariffs. Our tariffs are going to 30%. You've never seen tariffs like this. Uh, not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, when's it going to end? Like what? What's like what? Yeah, what is the hundred percent tariff? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what, what? what is the end game? I I don't know. I I don't know either. Um, it's also it will it will either end, yeah, next year, which is twenty twenty next election oh, or twenty twenty four. It's either right. going to end one then of these or two, there. One of those will do it. Yeah, 
you know, I, I don't, we don't, we don't need to get too political, but I'm just, I'm just super curious. Like, how is it that we have, like, most of the time in the United States, our whole system is based off of like lots of people making decisions about big things like this, as opposed to one person being like, no tariff, you know, like, I don't know. This seems a little odd to me. Seems like powers are um, not in the right spot. But I'll leave it at that. I don't want to go too far into that. Yep. I agree with you there. Yeah. Okay, so the next uh, RFO is After the Con, the bomb badge post-mortem on Hackaday. This is super cool, if you ask me. So uh, one, of the, one of the badges that uh, showed up at uh, DEF CON was Da Bomb, which uh, this is the second year, I believe, that Da Bomb... Um, have made a badge. It's the Ides of Defcon group. Right, right. And um this is their second badge. So they they actually produced a postmortem for the project as a whole where they talked about all the things that ha- went well and all the things that didn't go well. And it's a really great read, especially if you're thinking about getting into uh badge life or just running an electronics project where you have to deliver to a bunch of people. Um, one of the things that's interesting about Badge Life is you're producing a product, in a sense, that you have to deliver kind of all at once. And that's a little bit more unique than designing a project that, like, once it gets built, it goes out the door progressively. In this case, it's like, we went from zero, and now we have a stock of 500, and that 500 has to be delivered now. And yes. he talks about that in, uh, I, it's John Adams who designed this badge talks about like difficulties with that what they do next time what they'd look out for and uh even simple things like their joystick they had problems with soldering it and it wasn't necessarily an issue with manufacturing it was just an issue with the fact that the joystick wasn't really that great uh so you know these the the badge life stuff is hard because you got a year to produce something in a way that is supposed to wow every single person it touches and in a lot of cases, like you're going to be, sh- you know, throwing out a bunch of money for prototypes, and you don't get a lot of chances to figure things out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, the, also, you know, the the uh, bomb had uh, some communication, uh, I guess, issues you could say with the Doom Sao. Oh yeah, that was fun to debug. <laughs> right, so and so like half a day doing that, you know, that's that's completely <laughs> unexpected, but that that happened as soon as it hit, you know. So like, it's it's a giant pain, and I yeah, think so you you want to know what that what what we can figure out so far? Well, we actually still didn't don't it write to the know. wrong address or it, it, not the wrong address? It just wrote to an address that garbled your data. N- no. Okay. So. What it was doing is, for, so for background, um, the Doom SAO, Doom shitty add-on, when you, it emulates a EEPROM on the I2C port. And it uses address 50, which is what a lot of EEPROMs on I2C bus use. The DeBomb used a LED driver that was also address 50 on the same bus. And so what was happening is the... Uh, the LED driver is able to respond almost immediately because it has a hardware interface for its I2C. And so it's really fast at acknowledging stuff. While the Doom, it's all software. So it's a little bit on the slow side on acknowledging whether or not like it's got data or whatever. And so what's happening is 
um, on how it worked in Doom is basically if it got a request for data or a uh, or a write, it would trigger an interrupt and then run that routine. Well, that was the hardware triggering it, triggering that part. And so it's getting a lot of hardware requests of like, hey, here's more stuff, here's more stuff, and the and the and it's just basically compounding interrupts over and over and over, and then it crashes, and it crashes in a state that the SAMD's bootloader, the AT SAMD 21's bootloader, hard hard locks into the bootloader <laughs> mode. And so it works fine, Yeah, and you just have to put a new code on it because you have to basically unlock the bootloader. Wait, but you have, by unlocking the bootloader, you have to reflash the bootloader. Right? No, no, you don't have to reflash the bootloader. Oh, okay. You just have to reflash yeah. your code. Yeah, you just got to reflash your code because basically it gets into a state where it won't let it go out of the bootloader anymore hmm. because it's like, hey, something bad happened. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what was your so what we, was your fix? Uh, so we made it so you can. Um, there was a we made an airplane mode for it, and so if you logged in or or not logged in, if you serialized over the USB port into Doom, you could turn on airport mode, which basically ignored the I2C bus, which worked. And then we also had an option to you could just change the I2C address. So you could change it to 51, and then it worked fine. <laughs> okay, that's great. But basically, yeah, because of a, it was a device conflict on address 50, it was just spamming the, uh, the Doom with all these... Uh, I just got a message. Um, it was spamming it with all these uh, messages, and the hardware was like, "Yeah, we can do this." And then this co- the SAMD code routine is just not fat was not fast enough to basically get to the end of the routine, acknowledge that it finished, and so it basically probably made like a thousand interrupt routines, and then probably overflowed wherever the where it stores its um, uh, return pointers at. It probably flowed that over, and then it just dies. <laughs> Right. I don't know too much about the architecture. I just that's a good guess, if, though, right? It's a good guess. I'm going to guess that's probably what's going to happen. I, if we can find like a Atmel engineer that's worked on this and be like, you know, is that actually what's going on? You know, that's probably a pretty um, uh, a pretty good reason why most people don't give uh, low level communication protocols to external world you know like there's not an i2c bus because you could plug something in it and then really screw crap up you know yep for really good reasons so that was a fun fun about i was hoping to have like a a really good solution like like it would be smart about it but um basically once it did two interrupts in a row it was already hosed it was toast like yeah, you couldn't. I wanted to basically be able to detect, hey, we fell into this interrupt again, and we, like, you set a flag and go, hey, that flag is still set. What are we going to do? And by that time, it was actually already hosed because you couldn't, it wouldn't go back to the other interrupt as well. Because like, it was already, it was already in down buffer. inside of one, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. I, I want to try that again, see if I can get that to work uh, for next year. Wink, wink. Um, but uh, yeah have you ever have you ever written code this is probably terrible code 
But uh, have you ever written code where there's an interrupt inside of an interrupt? Unfortunately, yes, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> it is not the right way to do it, though. Yeah, because like the the proper quote, proper way to do an interrupt is to jump into the interrupt, set a flag, leave the interrupt, and then service the flag outside of the interrupt, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's sometimes there's, uh, like if you're running DMA or something like that, like the DMA like loader is going to have like the highest priority mm-hmm. for an interrupt. So it will interrupt other interrupts. Well, oh, right, right. But, but a lot of times you're not even caring about that. You don't even see that happen. Correct. So usually it just, the hardware handles it and you're, you know, good. Well, but above and beyond that, a lot of times the hardware handles it in parallel. It's not like jumping out of your interrupt. It's just happening on its own, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. So, yeah. I would say anyone that wants to do badges, read John Adams' uh, postmodem. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it basically covers everything that is like, yeah, this is all stuff that people forget about or uh, come across. It's like, it's amazing that there's actually a lot of these online and like, and XOR, we've done a couple of them as well. Mm-hmm. People still don't read them. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think, I think people get I, into I, a trap. They do this thing where it's like, oh, my badge or product or whatever can do X and it can also do Y and it can also do Z and that's great and don't get me wrong all of those are really cool things but everything you add comes with a huge amount of headache so like just because it's cool doesn't mean it's a good idea to add to your project or if if it's an absolute must in your in your product or whatever just know that it's gonna each thing you add is another 30 hours of pain in the ass yeah I think we might have stumbled upon what will become the downfall of humanity. Oh, yeah? What's that? Is the people do not learn from the mistakes of others. <laughs> That's nothing new. <laughs> that is certainly um, nothing new. <laughs> and because having read a lot of these like postmortems about badges and, and about other projects and stuff, people still will commit the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, it's Same it's problem. like trying to fight Russia in the winter. It it's tr- tr- traditionally has not gone well. <laughs> or emus in Australia. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great story. Go watch the oversimplified YouTube video of that. The emu wars. <laughs> I knew exactly what you were thinking of there. <laughs> Okay, I think we should wrap this up. We've meandered quite a bit here. For sure. Okay, so that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer with no O's, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.